0: Good evening to you all and thank you for joining us once again for this, the ninth of our salvation meetings that we've shared together here on Fortress Radio. Don't forget there's also a holiness meeting at 11am each week and you can listen to Salvation Army music 24 hours a day right here on Fortress Radio. In this evening's meeting we're continuing to look at the events that the disciples and others shared with the risen Jesus in those weeks after his triumph or the grave. We've previously travelled with Cleopas and the other disciples down the Emmaus Road, when their hearts burned within them as Jesus drew near and spoke to them. Then we examined the doubts of Thomas and the failings and denials of Peter, that with Jesus' kind leading they were able to put right and find restoration. Today we're going to look at the Lord's most public appearance after his resurrection and also his intimate and life-affirming encounter with James. But first, let's join in song together as we sing song number 74, At the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. We're going to sing three verses tonight, the first, the third and the last. a great last verse that is. So much great advice for us all in just eight lines. In your hearts enthrone him, there let him subdue all that is not holy, all that is not true. Crown him as your captain in temptations are. Let his will enfold you in its light and power. We often talk about new and old songs, don't we? Well, At the Name of Jesus was given a new lease of life by the tune Camberwell that we've just sung. We've only had that tune in the army since the 1987 tune book, although I can remember singing it in school assemblies quite some time before that. Until then, we used to use the tune Prince Thorpe, but I don't think many of us would even think about choosing that tune today. The words of the song by Caroline Noel were probably only written when she was still in her teens, That's around 1835, 30 years before there was a Salvation Army, even as the Christian mission. I find that sort of thing fascinating. Yet here we are singing that song nearly 200 years later. Well, let's sing that last verse again, shall we? Bandmaster, give us an intro, and then we'll sing that final verse one more time. As we pray this evening, I hope that we have all truly crowned Jesus as our captain in our lives. And we have, in return for all he's done for us, given him our lives, our hearts, our days and hours. All there is of me. If you need the words of the chorus, they're song number 569 in the songbook. And after we've sung, Major John Martin and Yoma are going to lead us all in prayer.
1: Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures for ever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Amen.
2: We thank you this evening, Heavenly Father, that we can worship you with gladness as we come before you with joyful songs. We bow the knee before you and confess with our heart and mind and spirit that you are the King of glory now. We unite in this act of worship to call you Lord, to remember your goodness, mercy and forgiveness, and with all creation to praise you. Our psalm reminds us that we can enter your presence giving thanks and praising your name for you are good and faithful. Indeed, your love endures forever. Help us to be mindful of others this evening. I pray for all those affected by the impact of COVID-19. Please comfort the bereaved. Help those who are concerned about loved ones. We give thanks for the efforts of those in the NHS and wider care sector who are demonstrating acts of kindness and support. I pray especially for all those who are having to make difficult decisions for this country. And I pray for our international and territorial leaders who are grappling with issues regarding the army. I pray for those listening to this meeting that they might know you better today. Bring comfort, hope and joy. We will have sung the prayer chorus, All There Is Of Me, many times over the years, often in moments of personal prayer or personal battles of our will against yours and when we have recognised that you require all there is of us so this evening again we make this personal prayer to you I pray for our salvation meeting tonight and may we be blessed by the music and especially for the opening and preaching of your word I pray this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Amen A big thank you to John and Yoma for
0: leading us in prayer. Let's echo the sentiments of that prayer now and sing a great song of praise to the Lord. This is a real Salvation Army gem, composed by Leslie Condon to words by Catherine Baird, Eternal God, our song we raise with thankful, overflowing praise. And we'll be using the full version tonight with the two slower verses in the middle As per the original. Song number 359 in the songbook. It's always great to have the singing company with us, and their song this evening is one of those that I'm sure will get your feet tapping. I hope we all agree with the sentiment too, as they sing Jesus is Tops. Now, have you ever sat in a meeting when the officer calls for a testimony period? We sing a great chorus and then tumbleweed. An embarrassing silence follows and we sing another chorus while we have a think about it. And then still nothing. Well, I feel a bit like that this evening. After eight weeks' meetings with great testimonies, The sauce has dried up this week. So instead, we're going to hear again from my friend Andrew Walman. Andrew opened our meeting in prayer a few weeks ago, and when I saw an article he'd posted this week in his role as Deputy Director for Older People's Services at Territorial Headquarters, I asked him if he would record it for us to share this evening. And so we're going to hear from him now. Today is Sunday, the 17th day of May,
3: in the year of our Lord, 2020, at approximately 6pm in the evening. Now, dear listeners, you might be wondering why I am spelling out the perfectly obvious. One of the interesting things about these unprecedented days and lockdown experience is that it is perfectly possible to completely lose track of all time whatsoever. Please do tell me I'm not the only one who's asking, what day is it? What's the date today? As one day merges into another, I'm assuming we will be celebrating Christmas at any time soon. Our time is of the utmost importance here. It's unlikely that we'll ever get back these extraordinary days ever again. We'll never get back this time to spend with family or time just to sit and to be still the time to spend in the garden, or to reconnect with friends over the internet or the telephone, or just the time to stand and stare, as the poet W. H. Davis once famously said. Despite the obvious calamities that are befalling our economy, our workplaces or even our communities, and of course the awful personal toll of losing loved ones, still, Lots of people are expressing the positive aspects of the lockdown experience as being a gift of time that we will never ever see the likes of again. The great thing about the nature of time is that it's completely ours to do with what we will. With all the inventions of modern technology, no one has yet come up with any means of putting more hours in the day. However, we can right now decide to make the best use of our time according to the purposes of where our priorities are. We can right now decide to stop wasting precious minutes on that which is fleeting and unimportant and instead invest our days in the lasting, fruitful and even eternal purposes of how God would want us to use our time. God gives us 24 hours, 1,440 minutes each day and we can choose how to use this time. Of course, eventually our time will run out. There will come a day when we are called to account for how we use the time and all the other resources God has given us. Once we have that as a frame of reference, that life is short and eternity is not, we realise how important our time is, since what we do in this short period of time in this world will have results for all eternity. James chapter 4 verses 13 to 15 says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are just a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this Or do that. Psalm 90, verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. God longs to teach us how to use our time wisely. He longs to give us a heart of wisdom that we might center our lives around meeting with Him. Now, time flies. It's a popular saying, and it's based on our perception of time. But the enemy uses busyness. To steal precious moments from us. Time is priceless because it can never be recaptured once it has passed. The Lord wants to spend time with you and live through you. Maybe these extraordinary days are the right time for you to give your life and time back to the extraordinary God. He will complete the work begun in us. We must give him our time and attention so he can do it. Give the Lord every living moment you have and let him reprioritize it according to his will and his way for such a time as this. The words of the song say this. This is God's moment. God's moment for you. A moment so solemn yet joyous and new. Forgiven is all sinning. Real life is beginning for this is god's moment for you god bless you
4: this is god's moment before-
0: There must have been times in this coronavirus lockdown when we've all felt a little bit like giving up. If there was an end in sight, I think a lot of us might feel a bit better. At least there'd be something to look forward to then. But we just don't know. We don't know when we'll be able to see and meet with loved ones. We don't know when we'll be able to have that hug that we've been missing. We don't know when we'll be able to start going to the church again, let alone sing with the Songsters. And playing with the band is probably further away than most things. I know that a lot of people are suffering from loneliness, and some even despair. It's over 40 years now since the song that the Songsters are going to sing for us this evening was published in the Musical Salvationist. They were books of the brightest red imaginable, if you can remember. Written by Jenny Warnham, the song tells us Don't Despair. evening is taken from the first book of Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Before we think some more about that and other readings involving the risen Jesus, let's sing together song number 249. I'm going to read the first verse and then we'll sing verses 2 to 4 using the beautiful tune of Tyndall and the Songster arrangement. Christ, whose glory fills the skies, Christ, the true and only light, Son of Righteousness arise, triumph for the shades of night. spring from on high be near, day star in my heart appear. O oh, disclose thy lovely face. <laughs> I want to tell you tonight that I've found it fascinating these last few weeks examining once again the number of times that Jesus appeared to his followers after the resurrection. I've been trying to imagine where and when they took place, and even trying to put them in some sort of order. One thing I found particularly interesting is the fact that, even though they had seen him, some disciples and followers still had their doubts as to whether A. It really was Jesus they were seeing, and B, that He was truly who He said He was, the Messiah, the Son of God. One who found this particularly hard to swallow at times, it seems, was James, not James the brother of John and the son of Zebedee, but James who was Jesus's own half brother. Talking about that. Another lesson I think I've learned lately is that when Jesus tells us that we need to have a simple faith, like that of a little child, I think he was warning us about trying to ask and find answers for all sorts of stupid questions, such as the ones that have tied historians and theologians in knots ever since. It doesn't matter one little bit to me whether James was older or younger than Jesus, if he was a son of Mary or Joseph from a previous marriage, or both Mary and Joseph, or whether Joseph was 18 when he married Mary, or 80, as some others claim. All these things make no difference at all to us, or to who Jesus was and still is today. I think if Jesus could speak to those who worry about such things, he'd just say, stop it! Go out and do something useful! Anyway, back to James. In John chapter 7 verse 5 we learn that even James and the Lord's other brothers and sisters were at first, at the very least, sceptics. James had grown up with Jesus as well as being a follower. I don't know whether the remarkable events of that night in Bethlehem when Jesus was born had been part of the family history that had been shared in the household. We know so little about Jesus' childhood from the Bible. Just one isolated incident about him teaching in the temple and getting lost when he was twelve. And that's all. So we can only imagine what James felt about his brother. Except that it had obviously been enough to persuade him to become a follower. But here Jesus takes James aside. Probably in Galilee where they'd both lived because that's where Jesus appeared on the mountain in front of at least 500 witnesses, as reported in three of the Gospels, in Acts chapter 1, and in the reading we read earlier from 1 Corinthians 15. And whatever Jesus said to James that day undoubtedly had a massive life-changing effect on him, for all his doubts were gone, and from that day onwards he became a great leader a wonderful teacher and, of course, the writer of the book of James – some of the best teaching about how to be and live as a Christian that we find in the whole New Testament. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there that day when Jesus spoke to James? I know I would. So let's get a little bit more personal to the first time that you can remember really meeting Jesus and knowing that something very special had happened in your life. I can remember kneeling at the mercy seat in Sunday school and even venturing forward at times in senior meetings. But I'm not sure I completely understood what was happening at that age. I know that there are some great Christians that I've met who tell me with total certainty that they were soundly converted as children. But to me, back then, I think it was more about just feeling a bit guilty, perhaps, because I'd used some naughty words at school. Or maybe just wanting to try to be a bit better. I think I must have been about 17 before I had a truly special, almost dramatic encounter with Jesus, and feeling, knowing, that this was very much for real. I was sitting in the band at Bedlington and the meetings that weekend had been led by Colonel Will Howard. A year or so later, I experienced something similar in a meeting led by Colonel, later General Bram Tilsley, while I was a student in Colchester. Those two encounters with Christ, I can truly say, started some real change in me. And all these years later, I hope and pray that I'm still a work in progress. I know I'm saved, but I'm not sure that any of us ever completely get there, do we? Not yet, anyway. One day I shall be like him, we used to sing, and I believe that one day we shall. This is one of the reasons I love the Salvation Army. Unlike other churches, we don't believe that a quick splash of water as a baby and or a confirmation guarantees us eternal life. The Salvationist life is a true Christian one, a pathway towards holiness. This is an evening meeting, of course, and I believe that one of the great things that we've lost in the last couple of decades in the army is a true difference between our meetings the evening providing an opportunity for the whosoever to become saved, and the morning the holiness meeting filled with teaching that's designed to help us grow in holiness and become more and more like Jesus. The army used to be known especially for being a holiness movement, and I'm not really sure that we even understand what that means anymore. Maybe I'm wrong, but at the moment I don't think I am. After my two meetings with Jesus in my late teens, that was when I truly learned to know him as a friend. I had a human friend who lived on the other side of Colchester from my lodgings, first with the Fry family and then the Blairs at Colchester Core. And as I cycled from Gale's house back to mine, I spent the time in prayer just chatting with Jesus like I'd chat with any of the others of my friends. I think sometimes I was praying aloud, because I recall getting some very strange looks, this mad cyclist bombing along at half past eleven at night apparently talking to himself. One night, I'm afraid to say, I was so engrossed in my prayers that I failed to spot the little yellow lights warning me about the hole they'd dug in Lexton Road, and as a result, I ended up down the bottom of the said hole, undamaged in person, but with a very bent and buckled front wheel. Oops! The biggest problem I've had for the rest of my life has not been how to pray or what to say. It's just getting myself not too busy to have the time to do it at all. And I'm sad to say there have been far too many days that have been just like that. For the last four and a half years since I married Sarah, she has finally instilled in me the expectation, desire and discipline to read the Bible and pray together every day. Now, why did it take me over 50 years before learning to do that? There's a real danger, you know, especially in the army. When we used to have five or six meetings on a Sunday, band practice, songster practices, music festivals in years gone by, cor cadets, pub booming, youth clubs, and so much more, that we got so busy doing Christian things that we forgot to carry on growing as Christians. Maybe that's why I've got dozens, maybe hundreds of friends who were busy salvationists for decades. But then, when their core closed, or the band that used to have 35 members and played festival series dwindled down to five and could hardly manage hymn tunes, they gave up. When I first moved to one core in my life, I couldn't help notice that lots of people were spoken about in hushed tones as band legends, but weren't there now at all. I asked if they'd been promoted to glory. But I just got the reply that, oh no, they've retired from the band. Lots retire here when they get to 55, I was told. 55? What about the rest of their lives? What about the rest of their Christian service? Well, sadly, there wasn't any. I never did see some of those people at all. And I wrote a poem. One of the verses said, I have to pray for a sleeping church that used to lead the way. I have to pray for saints who still remember that sweet day, but think they're too old at fifty-five, and so join the decay. I have to pray. Are you due a new encounter with Jesus tonight? How long since you really spoke to him? I mean really spoke on that same personal, one-to-one, intimate basis that Jesus had with Thomas, with Peter, with James. Ask him tonight what it is that he wants you to do, where he wants you to go. Ask him to help you grow nearer to him, to proceed down that pathway of holiness. And if you've never met Jesus before, then say to him right now, I want to know you. Please be my friend. Come into my life. Wherever you are in your relationship with Jesus, please, before this meeting ends, make it better. We're going to sing the beautiful song that we heard in that band piece to close our meeting in a moment. But firstly, I'd just like to thank all those who've taken part in our meeting this evening, particularly John and Yoma, Andrew, the Brisbane City Temple Songsters, Croydon Songsters and the Scottish Congress Chorus, the International Staff Band, the Amsterdam Staff Band, the King's Singers, and Exeter Temple Singing Company. So now we're going to end our meeting with song number 503, Just As I Am. And we'll be singing verses 1, 3, 5 and 6. accept our praise, take our offerings to you. And now may the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and heaven's richest and choicest blessings go with you all, until we meet like this again.